Kim Sujawalski, and I'm your host here at the Brownwell Podcast, a place in which every week we talk about delicious food, about making more vegan choices no matter where you are along the way. And because food is never just about the food, I'll support and guide you to a happier, kinder, and more mindful relationship with that wonderful moment of eating. Are you ready? Lace up those trainers if you're going for a walk or grab a cup of coffee, get comfy on the couch, and listen in. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Bramble Podcast. I am so excited to have you here today. It is a very special day at the Bramble Podcast. It is the first episode of 2022. It is the first week of the year. It is our 200th episode, and it is the first episode in which we are going to have an incredible guest join us for a very special conversation all about the wounds behind perfectionism. Today, I am honored and thrilled, excited, nervous, just over the moon over the fact that the person who is joining us today is none other than my bestie V. The name most mentioned in this podcast, second only to probably Carlos, my husband and Bramble's co-founder. Verena is a person that has changed my life in more ways than I can say. She came into my life in a very unexpected way. She is one of the many wonderful gifts that my husband, Carlos, has brought into my life. And I cannot wait to share her with all of you, share her knowledge and her expertise. And I am so happy to be able to give space to this incredible person filled with empathy and wisdom and so much to say on the topic of perfectionism. And I was glad that she enjoyed this interview just as much as I did because it means that we will have her back to talk about the many topics of psychology and our emotional well-being that we talk about here at the Brownwell Podcast. Verena Kaczynskis is a clinical psychologist and researcher. For the past 13 years, she has been integrating the concepts and techniques from psychology and a healthcare system called Body Talk, seeking to deepen and expand therapeutic results for her patients. Currently, she has been splitting her time between seeing patients and developing content to both educate and encourage self-observation, always with the premise of sharing resources that people can use in their own internal organization process. She is a powerhouse. I have the privilege and joy of having her in my life. She has been with me through the hardest times and the happiest times, and never in my wildest dreams could I have imagined that from a wedding of mutual friends many years ago would come the most special friendship of my life. Today, I get to give you a little glimpse of the conversations we have pretty much every day. A lot of you might say that I cannot be objective, but trust me, you will love her as much as I do. I am so grateful to have her in my life. And today I'm sharing a bit of her wisdom with you. Now, before we get started with the interview, here's a little note from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by our online course, The Roadmap. The Roadmap is a 21-day course that will help guide the way if you're newly vegan, thinking of becoming vegan, or wanting to take more steps in this direction. Module by module, we take you by the hand through every step, covering topics like finding your motivation and having the right mindset when making this change, to how to build a balanced plate, how to shop, prep, stay on budget, plan your meals, travel, get organized, and navigate every social situation as a vegan and so many others. There is no stone left unturned in this course, and we do it all with that approach that you love so much, in which missteps are welcome and there is no such thing as perfection. And of course, it includes the most delicious recipes and menu ideas. There's so much more included in this course, so head on over to brownbull.com forward slash the roadmap 
to watch our video trailer to see the full list of modules, lessons and recipes, pricing and more. Again, that's brownbull.com forward slash the roadmap. Now on with the show. Okay, everybody. So it is one of the most exciting days since we started this podcast because my best friend is here to sort of christen our first ever podcast interview. It's the first time we've ever had a guest on the show. It is our 200th episode. It is the first episode of 2022. And one of the most important people in my entire life is here right now, my friend V. How are you? Hi, Kim. I'm so excited to be here. I think we have been having such uh, good conversations over the years. And I, I was always thinking we should record them because they're sometimes they're so interesting, right? So yes, here we are. It's incredible. This is also very strange for us, everybody, because V and I, Verena is from Brazil, where she is currently recording from. I, as you know, am from Venezuela, currently living in Spain, but this is a podcast that is always recorded in English. But V and I always speak in Spanish with each other. So it's the first time we're actually hearing each other in English, which is pretty funny. It's like when you memor you have your phone number memorized in your language and you suddenly have to tell your say your phone number to somebody in a different one and you <laughs> there's like this short circuit that happens in your brain. So yeah. hopefully in a couple of minutes, it'll feel like, like we've always been speaking yeah. this way. <laughs> so, okay. So V, I talk to you pretty much every day. Mm-hmm. We've had the, just an incredible friendship through the years. We've spent hours upon hours on FaceTime in person, sending each other voice memos. And I mean, hours and hours of voice memos. Yeah. And I have never ever asked you this question. Why did you become a therapist? Okay. You know, I was going to be a journalist. Seriously? Yes. Yes. Because I have, I always, I I really uh, like to write and I have, this was always something, you know, interesting for me. I had always um, thought of me like a person of words. So since I was maybe 12 or 13, when I realized that journalism was about researching and writing, I thought, well, I think this is for me. But then I went to Venezuela to live with my parents. We were there for four years and I was there. I think th- this was in 10th grade, the year before senior year. In Venezuela, you have to, I don't know how it is today because, you know, things are crazy there. I don't know if things have changed. But when I was there, this is like 1994, 1995 maybe. At school, we have this class that was like Psychology 101, Introduction to Psychology. Yeah. And I just fell in love with it. I remember that class in high school. You do. And yes, but my teacher was terrible. He oh, was my teacher was uh, great. he was not it was not the best introduction to psychology, okay. but okay, so it made a big impact in you. Yes. I remember her name. She she was Natasha was her name. Mm-hmm. And so I was just reading about these guys like Freud, Jung, Carl Rogers, you know, the Skinner, and reading about their about the different uh, schools of psychology. And I was thinking, how come I have never known about this? Because I didn't know any psychologists between my parents, Mm -hmm. uh, friends, my family, and didn't even think about it, about psychology being a thing. So I just fell in love with it. And I was so sure of it that journalism just, you know, wasn't a thing, wasn't an option anymore. And I have never regretted it. I think I would have been a good journalist. I, I, I agree. I would be happy if I, if I was a journalist right now. But I, yeah, I love being a psychologist. Yeah. I think, I think you would have made a, a great journalist because you're fantastic with words. But it would have Thanks. been such a loss 
to not have you as a psychologist, just putting your thoughts out into the world. You'll see why, everybody. You'll see why in the course of today's episode. (laughs) And you know, Um, when I think about it now, I have this therapist uh, personality. I'm always observing people, their behaviors. Even when I was a child, I was always like analyzing my what was happening between my parents, my friends, my families. I think some of the traits you have to have were already there. Yeah. I I think curiosity too. I think you're a very curious person. And that's so important. It's just that you, you just listen very carefully and you just really have an interest in what people are saying. And curiosity, I think is, must be such an important thing in that, in that area. Right. Okay. So we are here today to talk about the thorn on my side and on I'm sure many people's sides mm-hmm. perfectionism as you as my best friend and our listeners know very well I consider myself a perfectionist in recovery in the sense that I am constantly in doing the work to recover And I don't know if it is me and it's because I have this thing in my head all the time, but I am seeing this everywhere. I am seeing perfectionism everywhere and the struggle everywhere. So is it just me because I have this thing that I've struggled so much to overcome or has it really become the sort of new source of our modern day anxiety, our self-esteem issues, maybe even depression? What's your take on it? Well, I think... It's not just you. It's like, this is like an epidemic of perfectionism that we have Mm -hmm. now. Perfectionism is a defense mechanism. And every, I think every century maybe, or every age, you know, we have been, we have this tendency to develop some, I mean, we, we do have defense mechanisms that are, very human and everybody have them but we do have some that are stronger at some points of the, our history as a as humanity right mm-hmm. and right now yeah yeah i just wanted to ask you what give us some examples of defense mechanisms so what is a defense mechanism in itself oh okay well people it, it's a good question because depending on your pers- personality you're going to use some, some of them and some of them are not going to be so interesting for you. Mm-hmm. But one of them is having to know everything. So mm-hmm. nobody can see that you are... Everything that you... Anything that you use to cover your vulner, vulnerability oh. is a defense mechanism. Okay. Wow. Okay. That's the perfect way, I think, to define it. That's incredible. Anything you use to protect yourself in in a way, to to keep your vulnerability and and sort of any shame or anything that might be hidden there, just keep it away from people, keep it safe, keep it within you. That's so interesting. Okay. So knowing a lot about a topic, for example. Uh Yes. The other one is having to take care of everybody, be in charge. This one is also one that we have been using a lot right now. Rationalization. I don't know how how to Mm -hmm. say it. So you you go away from your emotions and you use your your mind to explain everything to, you know, Mm -hmm. you have to have uh, explanations to everything. So those are, um, some of them. Yeah. And, but it's interesting because in order to understand why we have this perfectionism epidemics right now, I had to look in other places other than psychology texts, Mm -hmm. because I see that this one is very related to our time. And I think I have found some of these answers reading to some of of the um, social critics and philosophers of our time right now. Because with the economics and also the internet, the social media, receiving this message that we have to be always performing This has something to do with the filters we use now with our photos, but we are also using filters to kind of disguise our 
emotions and the things that we <laughs> wish we were doing and we're not. You know, Brené Brown, she says something about nar narcissism that I think we can use it right here. We can use it for perfectionism also. It's the fear of being common. Wow. Okay. That is so interesting. I have been watching a lot of videos, thanks to you, because you introduced me to Alain de Botton, yeah. my favorite new modern day philosopher <laughs> and the school of life. And he has been talking about this a lot, about this idea that we've become so afraid of the just the everyday things of having normal jobs, of just having a usual day. And it has sort of transformed the way we look at work, the way we look at our partners, the way we look at our day-to-day -day lives, at our schedules, at everything. That is so interesting that Brene Brown also sort of catches that. And, and yes. that's incredible. So how, in what way does that sort of connect with perfectionism? Is perfectionism a way to be out of the ordinary, let's say? It's that search for not being very careful not to be ordinary? Maybe. Yeah, I think, yes. I was uh, having a conversation with a friend of mine. You know her, you don't know, know her, but I have talked about her to you and about you to her. Nina. Mm -hmm. So Nina was saying just the other day, she was saying, it's so funny when I hear, when I hear people saying, well, next year I would try to be imperfect. I mean, you are imperfect already. <laughs> it's you know? not something you have to find yes. effort in, right? Yes. <laughs> so we are already, you, you can embrace your imperfection, but you're, you, you're not going to try to, do, to be imperfect. You are. So I think it's a distortion of not the way we see ourselves, but about the way we relate to ourselves. So, you know, we think we should be more anything or less, maybe less anything. The perfectionism has a lot to do with the goal-oriented mindset. Yes. yes. So this is what I'm trying to say. You think you have to be the better version of yourself. And this is something that the new age era and the marketing, because if you need to be a better version of yourself, you need to buy things or, you know, you need to have more of some things. Absolutely. That's uh, all of our body image issues and all of the magazines that sell us images and everything that tells us about the quote unquote perfect way to eat or dress or anything. It's selling products. That, yeah. So you become, I, I became vegan like four, like seven or eight years ago. Can you mm -hmm. imagine how, how, oh my how long have you been vegan? In a few days, it'll be nine years. Okay. So I think yeah. for me, it's going to be seven years. I think Okay, I was, yeah, I waited two years after you. I don't know. Maybe one I or think two. You, I think you went vegan maybe one year after I did. Yeah. I think you have maybe eight years on your belt, yeah. which is incredible. Can you believe that? I can't believe yeah. that. Yeah. And I love it. I still love it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so we became vegan. Okay. So I remember when I became vegan, I was trying to live a life that was more in tune with my um, values. Right. Right. But the whole vegan like in market was mm -hmm. trying to sell me things like um, cleaner um, foods or, you know, Yes. healthier foods. And these are the things they're like traps. These are the things because our mind, and this is something I like a lot about Eckhart Tolle. Our mind is an instrument. He says that, right? But it's like, it's a little uncontrollable. So you have to control it. Our mind is going to catch anything it can to just use it to, you know, to um, create problems so it can resolve the problems. When you have these triggers of, you know, being better than your best version, this is something our minds just love. Oh, there's something I, I new so I can, you know, to, for me to, do, to deal with. 
I, I think, oh my goodness, this is this is just ringing all of the bells in my past history with veganism, with food in general. I, I just listen to what you're saying and I just think our mind must love to be able to organize whatever comes its way and to just put it somewhere. And okay, so is this something, is this new thing? Is this new way of eating? Okay, I'm already vegan, but oh, now there's this shiny new thing that they're trying to convince me of. And now do I have to sort of, how do I incorporate that into all of my understanding, my information, my habits? Uh, It's, you're right that that is such a big mechanism behind perfectionism Mm -hmm. uh, completely. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Now I want to ask you, so with perfectionism, what is the excuse and what is the fear? So the excuse as in, well, it's good that I'm a perfectionist because dot, dot, dot. And then maybe the real, I I know that there's a fear behind it because I've experienced this. The fear is if I'm not perfect, well, then dot, dot, dot. So what's the, what do you think is the excuse and what do you think is the fear behind perfectionism? In the case of perfectionism, because other mechanisms, they have other, maybe other fears behind them. Mm-hmm. But in this case, I think is the, it's the fear of not being in control. Okay. The very philosophical idea of not being in control, like it is for our minds, and this is not for our emotions, for our hearts, it's for our, our minds. Yeah, we can say the mind is addicted to control. And being a perfectionist is a way to think because you're not in control, but to feel like you are. So that's why, and going back to something that I was saying um, a few minutes ago, that's why I don't like to use, you know, the better version of yourself, being the best version of yourself this year, because this is not, I mean, I like to use in my practice and in my, when I write, I like to use the expression, you know, being more organized, like you're organizing your you know, inner world. I think it's better because it doesn't, it doesn't mean this is better. Today is better than yesterday. Or it doesn't mean like you're going forward. You just, you can stay in the same place and you can organize things in the same place, right? So you're more organized. It's better than saying something like, um, I can't remember the expression. A better version of myself or Um, an improved version of myself. Yeah, improving. That's the one. Mm -hmm. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, I'm improving. I mean, improving. I do understand what they mean when when they say that. But I think improving can maybe trigger this part of the mind that wants to, maybe if I improve more and more, I can be perfect. And please, as a therapist, tell us, is there ever an end point to that? If we continue to strive and say, if I do more, if I try more, if I improve this and then I improve this, and then when I reach that point, I improve that thing. Is there an end to that? Or will our mind just go on forever? Kim, that's such a good question. I think the defense mechanisms, they are going to get back every time we need them. Mm -hmm. And probably you're going to have your, the same ones coming back to you. So the thing is not getting rid of them because I don't think that's possible because they are intrinsic to the psyche. So they're not going away. I mean, you're not going to be perfect in that either, right? Exactly. We will recognize them we will see they're coming back and then we say, okay, so if this, if I'm trying to be, if I'm, you know, feeling this perfectionism again, maybe that's because I'm trying to hide something or get away from something, something or, and then you go and you check what can be happening to you. But yeah. no, I don't think you can, you can, it doesn't end. I don't it's an illusion. So. It's an illusion. I do, yeah. I completely think it's an illusion. And even when it's in certain aspects, you feel that you get pretty close 
pretty close to the idea you have of perfect. In my experience, especially when it came to my disordered eating and the messy relationship I've had with that and body image, Mm -hmm. when I reached the closest I have ever been to that ideal I had in my head, which was ironically, the sickest I have been, not the healthiest as they tried to sell to you Mm -hmm. uh, in this sort of wellness industry, the closer and and as close as I could get to that, where I could even maybe even recognize like, oh my goodness, look at where I am. Then it became about the fear. It was all about the fear of losing it. So what do I have to control now? So that I don't lose this thing that has been so difficult to achieve. And then you're in the cycle all over again. Yes, that's so interesting. And now when you remember it, do you know where it felt in your body? Oh my goodness. This You mean the feeling of that fear? Both. The Hmm. feeling of getting there and the, the fear. That is such a good question. I think the feeling of getting there... I I have a lot of my emotions felt in my sort of digestive system. So my stomach, the the sort of upper part of my abdomen, maybe that's where I mostly feel anxiety. And that was definitely a a period of a lot of anxiety of of, that's, I think, the energy when you're trying to reach for something and, Mm -hmm. and struggling so much to reach for it. It's all you can think about. And then the fear, the fear of of the fear of that, it's actually like a, like in the chest. It's like when you catch Mm -hmm. yourself, suddenly somebody scared you or a thought sort of uh, terrifies you that comes into your brain and you, you almost have to, you know, hold, clutch your chest. Mm -hmm. That's where I felt it. Is that important? The place in our body or or paying attention to where in our body we're having those feelings? Not the place per se, but recognizing the, the feeling in the body is right. one of the one of the signs of the anxiety, right? So it's so interesting. I remember when I some years ago, I I I think I told you. I, I'm sure I told you about this because you know, you know everything about my about me. But some years ago, like four years ago, I went to I did a eight week mindfulness um, program. Yeah. And I remember that maybe in the sixth or seventh week, I was feeling this void that was kind of uncomfortable because something was like missing. And then I realized that the anxiety was missing. And that oh my goodness. Wait, 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 wait. So wow. So you felt this sort of hollowness. Because of the missing anxiety. Yes. That's incredible. So it gives me the chills to remember it. It gives, well, me, the, it gives me the chills to hear that because I have, as our listeners know, anxiety has been like this almost Siamese twin of mine <laughs> throughout my life. And it has been like the work of my life has been learning how to tame it, not listen to it as much, calm it down. So the, 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 the have, it's almost the feeling of the not feeling yes. what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. It was like something was missing. And that's when I realized like in my body, because I already knew it because I'm a psychologist, I have read, I had read about it, but that was the first time I could feel it in my body. So that's when I realized that anxiety has a weight in the body. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, so it, it takes a place in your body inside your some somewhere to some people is in the chest, around this area of the chest, for some people is in the stomach stomach area, or maybe I don't know, around the neck. The shoulders, the, the neck. Shoulders. Yes. yes. I, I alternate between the stomach and my shoulders, just having feeling a weight, a literal weight yeah, for on me top too. of you. Yeah. Yeah. So now when I start feeling this feeling that was missing. So now when I have this feeling over my shoulders, I know this is not, this is anxiety. So should we pay attention then when we are in the cycle of perfectionism, when we're in that moment where the emotion is in our body so that we can easily recognize and say, Oh, I'm not going to go there. 
Yeah. I'm going to stop here. I'm not going to go there. That was actually one of the questions I wanted to ask you. You are maybe the most self-aware person that I have ever met. It's truly a remarkable aspect of your, I don't know what that is. It's, it's like this gift you have. <laughs> do you catch yourself in the cycle of perfectionism sometimes? And what do you do to bring yourself back from that? Yeah, of course. Of course I do. My perfectionism, it doesn't come like with body issues, but I'm beginning to go there when I start making lists. So a list to, oh, all the things I want to buy in the market, like next week, all the things I need, all the lists, this is crazy, but it's true. All the lists I need to do. So a list of the lists. Yes. List list makers everywhere among our listeners are nodding their head because I know that this is not just uh, you. I know that. Yeah, no, for sure. The most interesting thing is that making the lists doesn't gives me more anxiety because now I have like seven different lists of things and the anxiety comes and I, and I just keep, you know, adding more things to the lists. It's, it's crazy. So, yeah. So this is when I know, okay, it's, you know, it's coming again. Yeah. Yeah. So Look, we need therapy, right? I'm a psychologist. I'm always going to say that. We do need therapy. But after a while, after some years of, of therapy, you'll still need it, but you also, you know, you gain this self-regulating um, um, tools. Everybody have their own tools to self-regulate, and I have mine. So when I start to feel the need to make more lists, I, I just go to my self-regulating tools and some of them, most of them are about just breathing, not breathing like an exer- like a yoga exercise, just, you know, centering myself and writing, you know, journaling, like we do. Journaling. Yeah. journaling. Yeah. Um, yes. Our listeners are very much aware of the amount of journaling that goes on in this house and in yours they're finding out now as well, right? It has helped you. It's a tool that has helped you. That's incredible. So that's sort of the, you just gave us in your case, the way you recognize you're in that cycle and how you bring yourself back through that act of breathing and journaling. That's, uh, that's incredible. You were talking about control and perfectionism how it has this, this sense of control. I have always had the question of whether perfectionism is this sort of, what else is going on when perfectionism is going on? Is perfectionism and focusing on something that is imperfect that we need to, to work on more, like a blanket we're throwing over something so as not to see what's under it? Or is it 100% about control? What do you think? So in a way, I'm asking, is it a distraction? Is it a mechanism that provides distraction or is it literally the control that we need? We need to control something because there's something else that's painful. Yeah. All defense mechanisms are distractions from the real thing. Okay. All defense mechanisms are distractions. All right. Yeah. (laughs) They're trying to, you know, move you away to the real pain from the real wound. That is there, right? So in this sense, it is a distraction. But it's also because some people are more, like I was saying, some people are more controlling than others. You and I, I think we're more, we have the tendency to try to control things. And I know, and I know people that perfectionism is not their thing. I mean, it's never their defense mechanisms. Oh, I look at these people and... My husband is one of them. And I just see him as this alien creature. I don't know where he came from, why this is not a source of anxiety for him. He will just like go with the flow. And he, it doesn't mean he doesn't strive for things. He has this incredible drive. It's unlike anything I've ever seen. And yet there's no perfectionism attached to it. So it's mind blowing. Yeah. You're right. There are some people who just. For sure, he has other. 
mechanisms or their defense mechanisms that he uses. And maybe you don't even recognize them because they're not yours. Right. Maybe they're not even within my awareness, not in my field of awareness. Yeah. Yeah. So this sense of control, this need to distract as with all um, defense mechanism, how can we start finding healing from that? What do we need to do to find healing from that? Or what is the first step? Well, I think the first, maybe the most important thing is to learn how to recognize them so you can demystify them, right? So it's not something like so great that you can't even, you know, recognize. Well, this is something that happens to me and, well, it's not bigger than me. That's what what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I, I think is to being able to see it, to name it. I always talk about this in my practice, like name it, give it the right name. Because when you name, name something, it becomes manageable because you know what it is. And I think that is the most important thing. But perfectionism is a symptom you will have to go and check for what is behind the, sim- the symptom, right? Right. You can do that by maybe journaling when you're, if you have the practice of doing it, you can maybe read some books, not about perfectionism, about wounds. Because Ooh. if we read about perfectionism, we are focusing in the symptom. And this is just a symptom. This is blowing my mind right now because I do remember that when I, in therapy, I try to look for books about the subject and so that I could work on things outside of it. And and so perfectionism books will tell you many times to do a sort of sort of exposure therapy, right? You stop before the thing is finished or you stop the exercise class before it, the video has ended and you don't go for the full time that you were going to go. You stop a little bit earlier and you you have sort of these practical ways to really let yourself feel the discomfort of not achieving that perfect state with whatever you serve a dish that isn't, you know, that has a little splatter on the plate, whatever, (laughs) whatever it might be. Right. And that certainly helps you become more adapted to the uncomfortable situation that you're fearing so much, but there is no, like there is no actual deep healing. What a good observation. Yeah. I, I think you're totally on point where you say it's the wounds. We have to work on the wounds. And that is something that I learned so like in the worst way with, um, with all of my history with controlling my food and trying to control the size and shape of my body and all of this, which you know very well, you went along with me through that entire uh, journey. And this sense of control was always there and, and and this sort of artificial manipulation of all of these aspects of my life. They were there to cover shame and trauma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And perfectionism tells you, no, 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 it's not in the shame and trauma. Mm-hmm. It's in the body. It's in your body size. It's the way you, you, you appeared in that photo. Mm-hmm. It's the way you're eating, which is not 100% perfect. Or look at this thing that just came out that it's tricks you. It's a trickster. It makes you believe that it's in the things you can control where the work needs to be done. And if we don't address the wounds, it's, it's in the shame, it's in the trauma, it's in those things where the work needs to happen. Yeah. That's, that's, oh my gosh. So we do need to address the wounds and, you know, psychotherapy is great or self-knowledge, any way or shape is good. But I do think that having another person observing you and witnessing what you're saying is good. So maybe trying, you know, maybe try psychotherapy once in your lifetime could be good, right? I I don't think it could be good. I think it is uh, just the best thing ever. It has saved my life. Mine too. And finding yours too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... 
it is, uh, there's nothing like it. You can only go so far on your own, in my opinion. Yes. And, and there are definitely times in which you can let go of the in-person therapy. You can work on things on your own. There are times when your toolkit is so built up with resources that you can definitely go for years sometimes. Mm -hmm. And then there might be a time because of circumstance where you have to return to it. And, and it is just so helpful. You're absolutely right. We share a mutual love slash obsession with <laughs> our soul sister, Brene Brown. <laughs> I, I call her my soul sister. She has no idea that I call her that. I am extremely jealous when she posts these, these podcast episodes in her, in her podcast, Unlocking Us, which I highly recommend everybody listen to. She has these podcast episodes with her sisters. And I, I just think, oh my gosh, I just want to be one of those sisters. I just want to be in that family. She's incredible. So this is a book that is a favorite of both of ours. It's The Gifts of Imperfection mm -hmm. by Dr. Brene Brown. And I just want to read a couple of paragraphs to you. And I want to ask you some questions about it. Okay, so I'm quoting Brene Brown here from her book. Perfectionism is not the same thing as striving to be your best. Perfectionism is not about healthy achievement and growth. Perfectionism is the belief that if we live perfect, look perfect, and act perfect, we can minimize or avoid the pain of blame, judgment, and shame. It's a shield. Perfectionism is a 20-ton shield that we lug around thinking it will protect us when, in fact, it's the thing that really is preventing us from taking flight. Perfectionism is not self-improvement. Perfectionism is, at its core, about trying to earn approval and acceptance. Most perfectionists were raised being praised for achievement and performance, grades, manners, rule-following, people-pleasing, appearance, sports. Somewhere along the way, we adopt this dangerous and debilitating belief system. I am what I accomplish and how well I accomplish it. Please perform, perfect. Healthy striving is self-focused. How can I improve? Perfectionism is other-focused. What will they think? Any thoughts? <laughs> well, yeah, when she, she calls it a shield, it's, it's another way of saying defense mechanism. And one thing that is very interesting about this, and we never, you know, we don't think about it at first. I mean, the perfect body, the perfect house, define perfect. What is perfect, right? What is yes. per perfect? What is, where is this concept coming from? I have so many questions to you about this concept of being self-focused or being other-focused. What can we do to be more self-focused and, and with that bring all of the self-care and all of the mental health and have that be actually healthy for us rather than other-focused? This seems to be the battle that so many of us are fighting, this battle against other people's opinions, what other people think, what our parents believe about us, our perception of what others believe or think, which might not even be the reality. So mm -hmm. how can we leave that aspect of being other-focused behind? How can we overcome a past of excessive quote-unquote, performing or looking for praise or those little gold stars? There's something that we all need. And Esther Perel talks about this because she, you know, she studies and writes about relationships. And She's also in, in our imaginary dinner is, party next, yes. to, next to Brene Brown, by the yes, way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and... <laughs> With Alan right now, he's he's also Alan. Right. He's also in the he's also invited to the dinner party. Look, right now people are starting to because we are always going from one side to the other. People are starting to say, "Oh, you just have to be. You are enough. You just have to be. You know, happy with yourself." Uh, yeah, but no, because we are relational beings so i do need i do like that you like me 
And I, it's, right. it's good for me that you, as my friend, admire me, say nice things to me, think nice things to me uh, about me. So I think the first thing is just to, just to admit that we are always going to be in this, in this dance with people. I like that you like me. I like to like you. This is the first thing. I mean, that let's not kid ourselves and say that we are not, we are enough. I mean, uh, yeah, but we are, we, we do like other, to being liked, right? Okay. So this is the first thing, but this is different from being focused on the other person or in your side, right. right? Yeah. So I think that's where we can like draw a line and just say, okay, I like to have conversations with you where you, we agree, where you say that you like my practice, you like the way I write my texts or, you know, whatever. This is one thing. The other thing is I need you to like me. I need you to um, praise me. I need, I mean, I, I will always like to, you know, receive good comments about me, but when I need it, there, I think is the, you know, the line. With that's, the, that's the sticky point. Yeah. That's the sticky point. So, yeah. and once you understand that, I think there's an exercise we can do like in our journals or in piece of paper. I like to write write it down because when you write something down, you're like hearing yourself saying it, right? Because you're reading it. It's like listening to you. So it's, I think it's a good exercise. Julia Cameron was incredible when she said that. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, the morning pages, but an excellent exercise is to have a conversation with yourself. When you see that you're going, you're entering this cycle of maybe perfectionism or anything that that's giving you anxiety and you see that something's happening i think there's a good exercise that you can do where you just okay what is happening i don't know i'm feeling desperate so you ask yourself why because i think that kim yesterday didn't like what i said okay so why should, or what did you say? Or why should, why do why, I think, why that? think that? Yeah. yeah. So you just go into a conversation with a, one goal because, you know, you can, I think it's good to have a goal to get in that place where you, I don't know, you just try to um, get to the information. Why do I need that person to accept, accept me right now? All of the time is going to be some, I mean, variations of this because, and then you get to the wound because people who are sincere don't receive love. Let's give you an example. You invite me to your house and I say to you, oh, I'm sorry, tomorrow I can't. So I say no to you and then we hang up and I'm start, I start to feel, you know, this anxiety, what's happening. I should say yes. I should always say yes because, you know, and then I start writing it down. So I'm feeling this since the call with, with uh, Kim. Why? Because I said no. Okay, should she be, you know, I don't know, angry with me because I should say yes to everything. You always get to the, the belief that's behind that, that comes with, it's not behind, the, the wound is behind the belief. So the belief that comes with the wound that says, if I say no, I will be rejected. Or if I say no, she won't invite me again, which is the same of being rejected. And it's only a belief. Right. So if this is the belief, you say that the wound is behind the belief. Yes. So it's a, it's a sort of more... If, if you see it as an onion, the wound is that core, like the innermost layer of the onion. So if the belief is right outside of it, and it's, if I say no, I will be rejected. What could be the wound there? What's the wound behind the fear, that? Give us an example. Fear of rejection. Fear of rejection. Mm-hmm. I am afraid of being rejected if I am myself. Oh, yes. Or if I oh, show yes. myself. Yeah. If and I am myself, so, that's the always, you can always 
go down to that. If I am myself, I am going to be rejected. I am not going to be loved. I'm going to die. That's, that's the main thing. I am a child. I'm a baby. I need to survive. What do I do? I adapt. How do I do it? By reading my parents or my, my caregivers and just trying to understand what I need to be in order to be loved by them because I, my survival depends on them accepting me, loving me. So that, that is the original wound always. You know, the fear in the, you know, the core of the thing is the fear of dying. That's incredible. It's, this is something I love about the conversations we have where we always, no matter what topic we're talking about, there always comes a moment in which we're talking about the social aspects of us as a human being. Then we talk about the psychological aspects of us as a human being. And then we reach the animal urge of survival each and every time. It's why we are social, psychological, biological beings. So if I am myself, I am going to be rejected. I am not going to be loved. And you say that that is a wound behind many of the sources of suffering. This is, uh, it's incredible. You talked about the, that deep desire to please parents so that parents protect us. Is this a dynamic that then repeats itself with our partners, with our own children, with our bosses? Mm -hmm. Is it the same or does it change through our lifespan? No, it's the same. Yeah. Because, you know, the child doesn't do it uh, consciously. Right. So we and each parent with each child asks for different dynamics. So for some people it's being perfect. For other people, I had a boyfriend. For him, it was being always in a good mood. <laughs> so that was his defense mech one of his defense mechanisms was humor. And when he you know, when he started to dig into it he remembered that at his house he was the one who would bring peace to parents who were always arguing and then they would pay attention to him so he was like the clown of the family wow this is perfect because the Basically, almost exact quote of Brene Brown is she talks about this performing. This is the perfect example of how we perform. I had this definitely growing up, this constant praising when I did something exceptionally well Mm -hmm. that you suddenly start seeing, okay, I am living in this tumultuous environment. In my particular circumstances, it's emergencies happening all the time. There is actual danger sometimes. There are moments in which you have no idea what's going to happen next, but you start understanding that the less trouble you cause, the better. Mm -hmm. And the more perfect you are, the less trouble you cause. And it just suddenly becomes a kind of performance. Do you feel that performance is behind perfectionism? I do. Yes. It's, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Would we would we have the same behaviors if no one was watching us? Yes, that's a very good question. That's a very good question. We don't know because even if nobody's watching me, in my mind, someone is watching me. Oh, oh my goodness. There is no escaping it. It's the eyes of our parents. It's our internalized, yes, internalized. parents. Yes. Yeah. This is incredible. This is incredible. So when we reach this wound, what do we do with the wound? Is this the time where we have to work through it in therapy? Is it looking for the opposite? If, if we have a wound that has to do with abandonment, is it looking for company? Is it looking for comfort? How do we begin to heal? Okay. Oh, that's the big question. I'm sorry. That's like (laughs) the question. (laughs) It's the question. Yes. Well, we are not going to like healing a wound isn't eliminating it. Okay. So it's important to understand Mm. that you're not going to eliminate it. (sighs) Yeah. It's a process. 
So it doesn't happen, you know, from one day to the other. You see it, you name it, you start to see in your life those things that are coming from those behaviors, fears, the things you do that are coming from the wound. And then you just start to um, develop a good relationship, not with the wound, but with yourself. I mean, the wound becomes, yeah, that's a, that's a good way to, to put it. It's not the protagonist anymore. It's just there. That's, yeah. We learn how to make the wound not be the protagonist, yes. even if it's still there. Yeah. Mind-blowing. Because it's go always going to be there. I mean, you're not going to erase your childhood. <laughs> you know, it's, it's part of your history. You erase all of the good parts of yourself if you do that as well. Yes. So there's, um, in Body Talk, they have this expression that I like a lot. You go from an active memory or an active wound to a passive wound. A silent aspect of yourself that's there. Yeah. It's like a scar. It's, it's there. It's like a scar. Yeah. I am having a new way of seeing perfectionism things to you. I am now seeing that it can be an alarm system of helping us go through mm -hmm. this process and heal things that haven't been healed in a very long time. I think that defense mechanisms are alarm systems in a way, or they yes. can be if we, yes. if we sort of get awareness of them. And this is incredible. I, now, I, the last I love the way you're, have, you're explaining yeah. it. Yeah, I love the way you're putting it. Yeah. You, yeah, I love it. Okay, go on. <laughs> thank you. The, thank you. The last question I have for you, if we work on our perfectionism, if we decide to brave the wilderness mm -hmm. of imperfection and vulnerability and seeing our shame and seeing our wounds, what is on the other side of the coin for us? What is on the other side of the rainbow, if you will, when we go through that process? Yeah, the first thing the first word that comes to me is relief can oh. you imagine like just yeah the the feeling of not needing to control everything it's just a relief it is a relief yeah it is a relief and i think all of the good aspects of human beings the compassion the empathy the self-compassion it's all waiting for us there Uh, the ability to yeah. connect with yes. people, to have true connection with people. You can't reach that place when you are stuck in the cycle. Yeah. That comes from being open. It's sort of the, that sort of open-hearted state mm -hmm. that we can reach when we get there. Can I, do, I, do we have time for a story? Yes. Of course, okay. we have time for all the stories. I, have, I can never get enough I have of your story. story. It's very interesting from a, a patient of mine. She was in her 50s. And one of the things that was very, you could see about her, like it was one of the first things you would see on her in person is that she wore a lot of makeup, a lot. And that for her wasn't an issue. I mean, she wasn't, talking about her makeup in our sessions but for me it just caught my attention because it was too much for her the makeup was like a mask and it was one of the ways her perfectionism would show itself and I remember this is so the thing here for me the most interesting thing is to understand that It's not a problem at all to wear makeup. The problem is when makeup is a tool, you know, is a mask or is a, a coping tool or mechanism, right? So for yeah. her, it was a mask. So she was with me for like one year before she finally unconsciously, because she wasn't thinking about this and doing it consciously, she started wearing less and less makeup. And one day she just came and she brought the, the, you know, the subject and she said, you know what, 
yesterday I went because she would wear makeup to go to the beach and to, you know, to the pool or to pool parties. And she said, yesterday I was at a friend's house at a pool party and I didn't wear makeup at all. And she said, it was such a relief. And, wow. and it was so interesting because she said, um, before I would, I would feel like naked if I wasn't wearing makeup. But yesterday, for some reason, I didn't, I didn't even think about, you know, putting anything on, she said to me. So I went there and when I realized I wasn't wearing makeup, I just felt how much the makeup was heavy on me. You know, having to think about wearing the makeup, not the act of putting them on, but just thinking about the needing of... And so it was so interesting. And then she was like free to wear makeup when she wanted to, not wearing makeup when she didn't want to, but she didn't, it wasn't a need. She, you know, she didn't need to wear makeup. And yeah. I think that's when you're, that's a sign of your wounds healing and you're just, you know, living with them. You, you're not being um, controlled by the wound anymore. It's such a it's such an incredible story because makeup is a literal mask that yes. we are putting on. Yeah. It's we are putting paint on our faces uh, to cover up imperfections, yeah. to cover up blemishes, uh, spots, aging sunspots, or, yes. aging. Uh, so yeah, that mask, and I think that the mask. I think perfectionism is that mask. It's that shield yeah. that we feel we need to carry with us everywhere we go or people are going to find this great big secret. And it's the fact that we are human. Yes. Yes. That we are human. Yeah. 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 Exactly. V, I cannot oh, thank no. you enough for just <laughs> lending us some of your precious time. We would love to have you back here. I have a list of so many topics that I would love to discuss with you in the podcast. You are welcome back at any time. Please tell our audience where they can find you, where they can follow you on Instagram or wherever you uh, have content. There is the sort of uh, language barrier in that your yeah. content is at this moment, although this is part of my secret plan to help push her into producing lots of content in English. Although I have to say that my efforts to, to read and watch your videos and all of your content in Portuguese, they have improved my comprehension of Portuguese quite a bit. But everybody, there is a translate button on Instagram and basically anywhere where you like any URL you put in your browser and it translates it to English in a second and you'll be able to take in all of the just the wisdom of this woman, it, I have no words for. V, tell us where people can find you, follow you. Okay, that's you. so kind of you. Oh, I loved it. Just call me next next week. <laughs> we can do this again. <laughs> oh, she's going to be a regular Let's here. This a weekly, a weekly thing. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> okay, so first of all, thank you for... It's so kind of you that you are you make the effort to reading my my things in Portuguese. I love it. I love it about you. I read I read every single post caption I know. thing that you produce because it's genius. Thank you. <laughs> that's that's it. So right now I am well, I have my website, which is all the information is there. It's in Portuguese, but all the information is there. It's verenakasinskis.com. It's v We will have that in the show notes, okay. everybody, just so you can click through really easily. Okay, verenakasinskis.com. I do have Instagram, but I don't do social media, so I don't have any accounts in Twitter or Facebook. Just Instagram, which is verenakasinskis. And I do have a very special place where... Not everything started, but yeah, kind of, yeah, kind of everything started there. The, um, like this small Instagram account with some vegan, um, you know, food and thoughts that I post every now and then. 
but I still and beautiful love it. photographs. Thank beautiful you. photos. I, it's so fun because it's not a job. It's not something. It's just you know a hobby or. Yeah. So what's the name of that account? Oh, okay. So in Portuguese, is Minha Cozinha Virou um Jardim. And how would you say it in English? My my kitchen became a garden. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's beautiful. Which, that is which, such a poetic name. Yeah, it is. Which is it's actually true. what happened when I became vegan. Yeah. That's how it, how true. it felt. To oh my goodness! We garden. definitely have to have you back to talk about all of that part of your life and uh, just your relationship to food, to cooking, to all of the process you went through when you went vegan. We have so many things that we want we to do. talk to you about here you. in the podcast. You're, you're, thank you. Always talking to you is always a pleasure and mm-hmm. it's good, good questions. And yeah, we, uh, I always said we should record our conversation. So we're doing it right now. <laughs> Now everybody can hear them. Thank you so much, V. Thank you. Here are some of the main takeaways from this incredible conversation with Verena Kaczynskis. We all have defense mechanisms that help us move through the world to cover up vulnerabilities. Perfectionism is a shield that both serves as a distraction and is also in its essence a way to gain control so that we feel safe. When in doubt... Right. Right. Often. There are steps we can take to free ourselves from perfectionism. When something is bothering us, when the alarms of perfectionism or the fear of mistakes and not acting perfectly start ringing, we see it. We name it. We find the deep-rooted belief. And hiding behind it is the wound. And it's in the wound where we do the work to heal. We are always going to be in this dance with others. I like you. I like that you like me. It is when we need the approval or the admiration to find our self-worth, where we must do that work to let go of what doesn't serve us. There is a large wound at the core of most human suffering. If I am myself, I am going to be rejected. I am not going to be loved. I will not be cared for, and I will not be safe. And finally, the elimination of the wound isn't the goal. The goal is to be able to live with it as a passive scar that has been there with us, but from which we can also be free. Thank you so much for listening today, everybody. And thank you to Verena for joining us for this incredible conversation.